Hey, good morning. If you are new today, thanks so much for being here. My name is Charles, and we're so glad you've chosen to be part of our service today. Well, if you've been around a while, you probably know a few things about me. One of those things is that I like food. Anybody else like good food here? Yeah, all of us do. In fact, I especially like these, the buffets. Is it up there? Yeah, yes, yes. Let's see here. What else here? Oh, I like that and that. I like just pretty much everything. And I like that. Mmm, wings. Looks like uh, some fried fish there. Oh, I just like that. And of course, you got to top it off with dessert too. So I do like these kinds of things called buffets. I used to have a really high metabolism rate. However, some of you may have discovered this. As you get older, your metabolism rate does what? slows down. Yes. I could have, at one time I could have done buffet every day. Now it's like limiting them to like maybe once a month, maybe, you know, or I don't know, maybe once a week. I don't know, whatever <laughs> presents itself. Well, uh, Cheryl, uh, and Cheryl grew up in Mississippi and I was visiting there before we got married. And of course, Mississippi is known for a lot of this stuff around Christmas time, especially. And, um, her dad, he's with the Lord now, he was observing how much I ate, <laughs> both in their house and also when we went to some buffets. And he pulled her aside one time, and in all sincerity, he asked her, Cheryl, does Charles have a tapeworm? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't, and I do not have one now. Oh, man, that was really, that was a classic. You know, food's necessary. It's a gift from God. Our taste buds and our sense of sight and our smell and touch, all that enhances the experience of enjoying good food. And of course, experts say there's something called a food pyramid. You're supposed to get, you know, all these kinds of things. Well, and uh, you're probably thinking right now, like, why is he doing this? And I want to go to the buffet right now. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to look in the book of Mark today as we continue our series at Jesus. He's responding to some questions about food around fasting. And you're probably thinking, there was a disconnect here, Charles. You just showed us a bunch of pictures of buffets. You can talk about fasting. Yes, that's what we're going to talk about today. So I want to pose a question to you. Here's a question. What do you think the Bible says about fasting? Just answer that in your mind's eye right now. What do you think the Bible says about this spiritual discipline called fasting? We're going to kind of unpack that this morning. Here's the big idea. Fasting is a spiritual discipline to help build our spiritual muscles. It helps us grow in our relationship with God. So what I'm going to do this morning, the next 30 minutes, is answer four questions about fasting. First one is, what is fasting? Go ahead and define that. It's kind of self-explanatory. Why should I fast? How do I fast? Then finally, the results of fasting. Now, today's passage is going to be Mark 2, uh, 13 through 22. If you want to follow along your Bibles or your, uh, your app on your phone, you're welcome to do that. We're going to just go look at a few of these verses, and then we're going to answer these questions as we go along, okay? So, Jesus was again beside the Sea of Galilee. He's starting out his ministry and he's picking his disciples and he's beginning his public ministry. And as usual, crowds were following him. And as they followed him, he began to teach them and to preach. 
So he was walking along and he saw this guy's name is Levi. He was sitting at a tax collector's booth. There were tax collectors then just as they are now. And he said, Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, Levi is his name here, but Matthew, we know him by Matthew. That's his apostolic name. That's how we usually know him. Now, in those days, they had taxes. Taxes then, taxes now, all kinds of taxes. Now, this particular guy, he was in a profession that was not highly looked upon well. In fact, tax collectors were hated, very much hated, because there were so many taxes for one thing. There was a poll tax. There was uh, an income tax. There was a crop tax. There was a tax like when you would uh, go from one region to the other, kind of like uh, here would be like a toll booth. Now, the big problem was this. These tax collectors, many of them were unscrupulous. Because there were so many taxes, it was easy to uh, extort others. Like, if this is the actual tax you owed... An unscrupulous tax collector would add a little bit on top and he would skim it and take the rest for him. So they were in a hated group. Now, especially if the tax collector was a Jewish tax collector. Because Jewish people saw a Jewish person as a tax collector, not only as unscrupulous, but hey, you're cozying up to the government. So kind of a double whammy. They were very much, very much hated. And they were considered the lowest of the low. That's why they were considered in this group of what we would call the Bible calls sinners. So when Jesus called, Matthew responded, he left his vocation. Now understand, this is a real sacrifice. Matthew, Levi, probably made a lot of money. Maybe he wasn't unscrupulous, but he made a lot of money, so it was a good job. So walking away from this job to follow Jesus, immediately he lost the opportunity for this job to come back to it because immediately he would have been filled, filled again. Unlike the other four first disciples Jesus picked, they were fishermen. They could go back to their fishing job. In fact, it says that after Jesus died and rose from the dead, that the disciples were still trying to figure things out. Some of them went back to their fishing vocation for a while. Well, Levi followed Jesus. His life was revolutionized by Jesus. He had a party. And a party, a dinner party for his friends so he could introduce them to Jesus. And here's what it says. The Bible says here, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, now I realize Levi was pretty wealthy, Matthew was per, uh, pretty wealthy, um, and uh, so this particular uh, house was probably quite large because Levi was wealthy and, you know, had a big house and he could have a big party. So many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, let me circle a word here. The word sinners really denotes the kind of person who refused to follow the Mosaic law as interpreted by the Pharisees. They were the legalistic uh, religious leaders. The Pharisees saw anybody that was not abiding by that law as inferior. And so they called these sinners, they considered these sinners as social outcasts like the tax collectors, okay? Now, the Pharisees were also sinners and Jesus refers to them as self-righteous, we'll see in just a moment, but they were sinners nonetheless. They may have looked respectable on the outside, but inside they were hypocritical and they were bitter and legal, legalistic. Now, although the Pharisees, many of them were probably, you know, good, good people and, you know, uh, pious, pious men, Jesus often came into conflict with them because a lot of them represented the worst elements of traditional religion, like jealousy and hypocrisy and religious formalism. Yet, Jesus was called a friend of sinners. 
This was grace in action. Jesus sought out people society would cast aside. And this idea of Jesus picking the least became a trademark of his ministry. Jesus saw who people could become. And you know what? He sees what you and I can become as well. This is who he, who he is. He sees what nobody else sees. And the Pharisees, in the Pharisees' mind, that Jesus would befriend a man like a tax collector with a, a, this bad profession and eating with him implied intimacy and, and friendship. The Pharisees who meticulously kept the law couldn't keep quiet. See, here's what they did. They asked this question. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, Pharisees would attend these banquets sometimes too, but they would not dare sit next to a, uh, a corrupted person for they did not want to be corrupted. They didn't want to be found to be immature. And it, for the, in their mind... For Jesus to befriend somebody like this and ignore these time-honored customs, they thought, this is incredulous. I just, we just can't believe it. Well, the message here is this, that if you're a follower of Jesus, we're supposed to befriend those who are far from God. We're supposed to be friends with those who are not followers of Jesus because for many, that's, who, that's the Christ they see. They see someone who's uh, following Jesus and they see hopefully in us what will draw them to him. Now, we don't embrace that worldview, but we should never isolate ourselves. Well, Jesus responds in this way. He says in verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but who? The sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. See, Jesus would define righteousness different from the Pharisees. Now, let me circle the word here, righteous. The righteous here would be in the sense that have the Pharisees and their self-righteousness. Like, well, I'm not that bit of, bad, bad of a sinner. I, I'm not really that bad. But here, sinners represents those who recognize, yeah, I'm a sinner and I am far from God. It's as if he's saying this. He's saying like, to people who think they are righteous, I have nothing to say to you. But to those who know they have a need, I have come for you. So next we see this topic of fasting when he was asked at a later time about fasting. And here's what he says. Now, John's disciples... And the Pharisees, they were fasting. This is John the Baptist here. Both of those groups were fasting. Some people, these weren't necessarily enemies of Jesus, but some people noticed that. And they came up to Jesus and said, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are not fasting, are fasting, but yours are not? Now, the Pharisees placed high value on religious rituals, such as fasting in public. Because it assumed that fasting indicated that you were really spiritual, that you were really a pious person. And so because of that assumption that if you, you were fasting, you were pious, the question was, a fair question, well, why are Jesus' disciples fasting? It's a very, very honest question. Well, the Pharisees' attitude about this came from, among other things, a false assumption that some people hold today, that being a, really, a religious person is a solemn, joyless, boring, unhappy life. When the Pharisees would fast, they would whiten their face. They would put ashes on their heads. They'd wear shoddy clothes. 
they wouldn't wash and they would look as miserable as they could in public so people would look at them and say, oh, they're spiritual because they really do, are, are forlorn about this religious life. In their mind, you could not be spiritual unless you were miserable. <laughs> and some people today feel that same way. Well, Jesus answers them with this parable. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. He's got the idea of a wedding ceremony here. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Now, see, a Jewish wedding, this is a picture, I think, of a Jewish wedding today, was a time back then and now for of great, great joy. And sometimes the weddings would last like a whole week, the most joyous time of the year. So Jesus is saying, why would you fast at such a time? Uh, he's paralleling himself to the bridegroom, as a bridegroom, the churches uh, the, the, being his bride, and saying that while Jesus was physically with them, they should rejoice, and a proper time would come for fasting. Then he adds two more parables in this short passage. Talks about sowing things, sowing up things. He says, no one sews up a patch on an unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, what's going to happen? The new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And so what he's using is this word picture to say that the new spiritual fabric that Christ brings cannot be interwoven into the tired fibers of old religion. It will simply tear apart. And then he gives this other picture here, this image of a wine being poured into a wineskin. He says, no one pours new wineskin into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. He says, no, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Let me explain what was happening here. In that day and time, water was not very good to drink, and so wine was actually a safer thing to drink than water because they didn't have purification systems, and the fermenting process killed germs. So they would keep the wine in goatskin little, little pouches. And a new goatskin pouch was flexible. So if you put new wine in, and it was still fermenting, it could stand the fermentation where it would expand. But if you had an old wine skin that was a little more crusty and you put new wine in, it would expand. It could burst that little container and you lose the container. You lose the wine. So this is the image he's creating here. He's, what he's doing is he is, it is uh, putting wine into wine, old wine skins and patching an old garment with a new cloth is just as inappropriate as fasting at a wedding feast. So Jesus actually affirms fasting when he says, on that day, they will fast, but not in the way the Pharisees fasted to look spiritual, to get others to think, well, you're a spiritual person. So Jesus affirms fasting. In fact, in Matthew 6, he talks about giving in prayer two very important spiritual disciplines that followers of Jesus should practice. And almost in the same breath, he talks about fasting when he says, when you Fast. So the context here is that Jesus is almost placing this on the same level as these other spiritual disciplines. So Jesus is saying by this parable, not that you don't fast, but that there is an appropriate time to fast. Now, let's go back to our big idea. Fasting is a helpful spiritual discipline to help build our spiritual muscles. 
And I said, I'm going to answer four questions. And I get you to know where I'm going. I'm hoping that you begin to build this into your spiritual routine. So the four questions are, what is fasting? Why should I fast? How do I fast? And the results of fasting. Now, let me say, if you are a note taker, you're not going to be able to get all this down. Just kind of get the gist of it. We're going to give you a handout when you leave today. The handout on the front page is really a, a detailed outline of my message today. And the inside explains this 12-hour day of prayer and fasting next week that we hope you'll be a part of. So you'll get one of these. So just try to get the gist of what I'm going to say here, okay? So what is fasting? Simple definition. Fasting is abstaining from food. Now notice I put down here usually because you can fast from other things as well. Fasting is abstaining from food voluntarily for spiritual purposes. Now, the word technically means, the word fast technically means self-denial. You're denying yourself of something. And in this case, what are you denying yourself of? Food. Now, uh, the purpose behind this, as it says here, is for spiritual purposes. It's to help you grow your walk with God. Uh, so that you can turn your attention to Bible reading and prayer, reflect, reflecting on who he is. Now, notice I have a key word here, voluntarily. It's a choice you make. I don't want anybody to go out of here if they don't have a real sense of like, I, won't, I want to start doing this. Don't, you know, you don't do it unless God prompts you. It's not like a Ten Commandment, but it is a very important one if you feel prompted to make this a part of your uh, spiritual development. You go to the Old Testament, they had all kinds of fasts. Joel, the prophet Joel said this, he says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart. And notice what accompanies returning to God includes with fasting. You see, sometimes we can be prompted to fast when we just need, our, we just feel like we're, our walk with God is kind of dull and kind of stale. And fasting can help uh, stir that new passion. It can help us with a pending decision. Maybe you have a decision you have to make and you really need some clarity from God. A world event. Uh, or, or maybe uh, when the leaders call prayer and fasting for the church, kind of like what we're doing next week. Now some history. In the New Testament, the early believers fasted quite a bit. On Wednesday and Friday and before baptisms occurred, Throughout history, great revivals that changed the fabric of the culture were accompanied by prayer and fasting. Handel's Messiah was composed as a result of his intense prayer and fasting. And then on February 6, 1756, England declared a day of fasting as it faced the threat of being conquered by Napoleon. Napoleon didn't conquer them. During World War II, many countries with a Christian bent called days of prayer and fasting. Now, a caution. Some of you here today cannot fast because of medical conditions. Maybe diabetes or whatever. But you know what? You can still enter into the spirit of fasting. You can fast from other things. You can fast from, from coffee or, or sweets or TV. Even fast from not talking for a period of time. So just because physically you can, and by the way, if you get into long-term fasting, check with your doctor, okay? But don't feel guilty because your body is such that you cannot fast. There are, from food, there are other ways to fast as well. Okay, second question. Why should I fast? Let me give you some suggestions why you should consider fasting. Number one, to lessen 
your focus on the physical and increase your focus on the spiritual. Fasting can help keep the physical in perspective, like not letting the hunger drive drive you all the time. It reminds your body who's in charge, not my hunger, but the Lord. It can loosen our tie from the physical realm that can sometimes consume our thoughts and consume our decisions. And it makes us uh, face this question. Here's the question. Do I eat to live or do I live to eat? That's a very important question we need to ask ourselves. Now, as I said earlier, I love to eat. I love buffets, you know. I love pretty much every kind of food. I don't like sweet potatoes or liver, but pretty much everything else I like. You know what I found sometimes? I found that sometimes I'd rather have food than, than God. It's one of those sobering things like, oh, my, look who's driving me. It's my physical desires. So, fair question. Do I eat to live or live to eat? Here's a second reason why you should consider fasting. To uncover hindrances in your life. Isaiah talks a a good bit about fasting. And here's what he says. He says, why have we fasted? They say, have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting... You do as you please and exploit all your workers. You see, I believe fasting can help us notice things in our lives that we're blind to. Maybe some weaknesses, maybe some attitudes. And fasting can help bring and surface those things. It can uncover and expose those kind of things that are hindering our walk with God. Here's the third reason why I should fast. To sharpen your spiritual senses. You see, God gave us these physical senses. They're amazing. They're wonderful. It helps us relate in the world and enjoy God's creation. But sometimes these physical senses can control us rather than the spiritual things. And what happens is when we're too controlled by the physical world, the spiritual sense of discerning God's uh, gentle, quiet voice can be drowned out. Fasting can help us focus better on that. Give us increased clarity about spiritual things. Number four. To bring urgency to your prayer life. It tells God like, God, I really mean business here. I really need an answer here. I really need your direction here. So I can do that. Here's the fifth one. To help you make better decisions. You know, sometimes we're faced with very consequential decisions. That would this decision would take us this way or this decision would take it this way. And you know what? We just need real insight from God. And fasting can help us focus on really sensing where he's leading us. Can give us a clearer sense of God's direction. In fact, Jesus did this. The Son of God did this. Before he picked his apostles, he spent a night in prayer and fasting. Now, let's pull all these together here. Number one. To lessen your focus on the physical and increase your focus on the spiritual. Number two, to uncover hindrances in your life. Number three, to sharpen your spiritual senses. Number four, to bring urgency to your prayer life. And then number five, to help you make better decisions. So I think some good reasons to consider it. Now, Some cautions, some don'ts. Number one, don't fast to force God's hand. It's not making a deal with him. It's not a formula. It's not jumping through hoops. 
Number two, don't fast to impress others like the Pharisees. Remember the Pharisees, they wanted people to know, hey, I'm fasting, look at me how spiritual I am. You don't want to do that. And then number three is, don't fast as an empty ritual. Jesus often chided the religious leaders as doing their faith as simply ritual. Third question, how do I fast? Well, before I talk about determine when, there's kind of a difference. There's this regular discipline of fasting. Maybe once a week you, 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 uh, you fast one meal. And that's just part of your regular routine. Maybe there are times when you have an extended fast. Maybe it's a day or, or two days or, or, or two, two meals. Let me say, if you normally skip breakfast, that's not considered fasting. Okay. There are those times when you clearly need God's direction and his hand on your life and the extended fast would be in order. Now, determine when, that, that means it's like, what, what am I going to do? Is it going to be building in every week? I'm going to fast for, uh, for, for one, one meal or, or half a day or one day. Maybe once, uh, once, uh, once a month, I, I fast in more, more extended time. So de- determine when you're going to start it. Next, det- decide why. Is it a personal problem you're dealing with and you really need God to work in your life? A decision you need to make, a relationship that's being frayed, uh, to sharpen your spiritual senses. It could be when the church calls, uh, the leaders call the church to special time of prayer and fasting like we're doing next Sunday. Next one is get a prayer partner, somebody, especially for longer fast. Now, when I speak of fasting, it's from food, it's not from liquid. You always want to stay hydrated. It's not smart to fast from liquid. All right. When you begin, restrict physical activity. You, know, I mean, you may skip your exercise for that day. Confess any sin as you begin. Spend the time, this is key, the time you would have spent eating a meal in Bible reading and prayer. It's not that we skip a meal so we have another hour in the day to do more stuff. That's not the reason for it. Journal. Bring a little notebook where you can jot down some thoughts and ideas and prayers and things God's impressing on you. Expect some discomfort. You know what? If you decide to fast, you're going to get hungry. And it's going to be quite acute. You're going to feel those hunger pains. You may get a little hangry. Your attitude may get a little more dicey. You may get a headache. Now, one of the things you've got to realize, if you choose to fast, your sense of smell gets accentuated. Let me tell you what happened. Years ago, when our kids were younger, I went on an extended fast. And they wanted a Happy Meal one day during my fast. So I said, yeah, sure, I'll get, I'll get you a Happy Meal. So I you know, drove over to McDonald's, pulled in the parking lot, and walked up to the front door. And I opened the door, and this blast This blast of French fry smell hit me. Oh, I just wanted to dive into that bin of French fries, you know. So, word from the wise, don't go to McDonald's when you're fasting. Okay. Here's another one. Don't pig out when you break your fast. No buffets. Let me tell you. I know this from experience. Yeah, I was doing a more extended fast, and I was hangry. I was real hungry. And I went to a Chinese buffet to break my fast. Don't do that. Don't do that. Eat mild stuff, banana, bread, rice, those kind of things to break your fast. And then summarize what you learned in your journal. What does God teach me? What is he showing me to do? 
Now, final one is the results of fasting. Now, the first five verses of Isaiah 58 talk about, Isaiah's writing about this fast. And I think we can really learn some insight about the results of fasting, the potential results. Here's what he says. He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? You see, you know what fasting can do? It can help you get freedom from personal bondage. It may be bondage from food or pornography or alcohol or jealousy or some sin problem. It's one of those things to consider as you deal with those. Isaiah goes on to say, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? You know what fasting can do? It can increase your generosity. It can make you more generous to others and more sensitive to those who are in need. He goes on to say, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. I believe fasting can help foster uh, spiritual and emotional and relational, even physical healing. Then he says, then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Fasting can give you a greater awareness of God's protection. Notice the directions he gives here. Before and after. God goes before you and after you. He protects his front and rear. Then he says, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, Here am I. Fasting will give us a clear perspective on what God wants us to pray for. Have you ever had an unanswered prayer? Yeah, all of us had. I believe fast can help us focus in more on what God wants us to pray for. And as we focus more on understand what he wants us to pray for, he answers those prayers and as a result it builds greater faith in us. So fast can help us kind of purifies our prayer life. Here's the next one. Your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Your darkest hour will be like the noonday sun. I believe fasting can help you become more confident in dark times. And maybe some of you right now, you're facing a dark time. Could be a relational issue, a financial issue, could be a health issue. You're facing a really dark time. I believe fasting can actually help you and strengthen you through that dark time, as Isaiah says here. Then he says, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. In other words, he'll give us strength for this journey we call life. So, we looked at these questions. We've looked at what is fasting? Why I should fast? How I should fast? And the results of fasting. Now, let me tell you a little, a little story about Jesus' life. When he had risen from the dead, on his third appearance to the disciples, he was there by the Sea of Galilee, and he ate a meal with them. And he pulled Peter aside. And as he pulled Peter aside, I can imagine Jesus kind of nodding to, the, to the, the fishing nets and the boats out there. And he asked him, like, Peter, do you, do you love me more than all the rest? And I think all the rest would be, you know, his vocation and what his vocation did for him and even the food that it provided. He asked him that question. And I think that question 
points to an, a central question that fasting poses to us or the consideration of fasting. Here it is. Just read that to yourself. Who or what really drives my life? Is it the physical or is it the spiritual? Well, Peter settled that. He said, Jesus, I love you more than all these. And it was proven because he actually became the key, one of the key leaders in the church in Jerusalem. Now, remember, I'm not dismissing food. If you had planned to go to the buffet this afternoon, just go and enjoy. Remember Charles as you're eating that buffet. <laughs> Fasting, following Jesus is not meant to be a somber lifestyle. But sometimes we just simply need to say no to our bodily desires so that we can say yes to God on a more consistent basis. There was a guy who lived in South Africa in the early 19th and 20th century. He wrote 240 books. I mean, like, how can you write that many books? Anyway, he said this about fasting. He says, fasting helps us to express, deepen, and to confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, to sacrifice ourselves to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. So my challenge to you is this, consider fasting at some level. If you decide to do that, it'll be easier for some than others. Consider joining with us corporately next week. Take 30 minutes. You can sign up out there. You can do it at home. You can do it here. But consider putting fasting into your toolbox to help you in life and your relationship with others and your relationship and walk with God. So let's pray now. Heavenly Father, we want to just come before you and we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for this little slice of Jesus' life that helps us understand a little more um, what he was really saying about this thing called fasting. We thank you for all these examples of fasting throughout the scriptures. Lord, we know that this is something that is not meant to be a legalistic requirement in any way whatsoever. That was not your intent. But you give that to us as really an option that you encourage us to consider so that we might deepen our walk with you, that we might... Uh, have a more sensitive spirit when your Holy Spirit prompts us. So Lord, as these moms and dads and husbands and wives and students consider how they're going to respond to this message, I pray, Lord, that there be no sense of guilt from the enemy, but if there is conviction from your Holy Spirit, may that be so, that you would convict that man, that woman here today, that fasting should be built into their new uh, and into their toolbox as a new tool to help them in their walk with you. So, Father, we give our lives to you. They're, our lives belong to you. Thank you for the food you give us. Thank you for the taste buds and the smell, the sense of touch and sight. You give all these wonderful senses so that we can enjoy your creation. We thank you for that. But remind us that you want us to keep focus on you as supreme over all the other physical uh, uh, distractions and desires that we may experience. We pray this in your name. Amen.